a literal encyclopedia of Nashville knowledge today on the Music Universe podcast. Hey, Matt, you enjoying the quarantine? Oh, actually, I'm getting used to it, which is starting to scare me, really. <laughs> well, I'm a homebody, so I'm kind of used to it. But hey, I'll tell you what, if anything good has come of it for us, we're chatting with a lot of cool folks. Oh, we really are. We talked with a gentleman named T. Graham Brown, who has a show on Sirius XM called Livewire, where he plays live cuts of artists. It's a country music radio channel, and it's all live albums, which is right up my alley, because here's a thing I do not a lot of people know. I may have mentioned it on this show once or twice. I actually... <laughs> will make playlists based on what I think a, sh- a good show set list would be. Yeah. And it, I, wherever I can do that, I use live tracks so that it literally is like a live show playlist. I know it's a little weird, but it helps kind of just with imagination and just thinking what it would look like. And it, it helps me listen to music and enjoy it while on long trips. So hey, nothing wrong with that. No, nothing indeed. And I thought we were going to get a chance to talk about this gentleman's career because he's had a lot of hits, a lot of great recordings himself. But he just wanted to talk about Nashville and the history and the late Joe Diffie we talk about there. So oh, yeah. there, there's definitely got to be a part two on this. There's definitely got to be a part two on this because we didn't even scratch the surface with T. Graham we, Brown. We did not. And, and I might even label this episode part one. Because mm-hmm. he, he was super cool, and, you know, because we have so many interviews, we, we unfortunately had to cut him a little short, and uh, we're, but he said he's super cool to come back on, so we're going to have to get with him and just chat, because he's, he plays live cuts from Joe and from Martina McBride himself, Tracy Bird, all these artists, and he just also talks, talked to us about the history of, of Nashville, and he could continue, I, I I think a book needs to happen. Absolutely, it does. All right, here in just a moment, you'll hear why we need to do a part two with T. Graham Brown. We got so much to talk to you about because your Sirius XM show, Live Wire, is still continuing. And uh, you have had everybody, your interview with uh, Kix Brooks just aired. Unfortunately, we've been so busy with these, I haven't had a chance to listen to it, but. You and uh, Kicks go go way back, don't you? Oh man, we go back to the very beginning. I guess we moved to Nashville. I moved to Nashville, and Sheila and I did in 1982. And probably Kicks, he might have been here or, or around that time. Anyway, we started out singing demos. We were talking the other day. I went over to Kicks was taping his radio show. He's got he does like a countdown show. So mm-hmm. I went over to the I went over to the place he does that and we were yakking back and forth and you know there was a there, we were talking about there was a Mo Bandy and Joe Stanley. There was mm. like a cra there was a craze kind of you'd call they had an act yeah. called Mo and Joe. And they all, they were all yeah comedy songs. Anytime a songwriter would, in town would, Kicks and I were singing demos back then, and we always got the call if some songwriter wanted a demo or something they wanted to pitch to Mo and Joe. So we got to be <laughs> Mo and Joe back then. <laughs> but we go back. You know, I, I said, Kicks, you know, 
we wrote a song one time. And he said, we did. And I started singing a little bit of it. He said, well, why didn't you cut it? And I said, well, I don't know. He said, why didn't you cut it? You had a record deal. I said, well, you did too. <laughs> he said, I totally forgot about it. You know, the first time that I ever went west of the Mississippi River, I think I tell it like it used to be. That was the first hit I had. It was either going up the charts or it already been a hit. I might have been on the second single. I can't remember. It's been 1985 or six. And we all went out. I said, do you remember that? He said, we went to Gilly's, didn't we? And I said, well, we went to Gilly's Rodeo Arena. And uh, there was a bus load of songwriting. We just kind of loaded up the bus and made a road trip, played poker and all that. And uh, I said, do you remember who was on the show? And he said, no. And I said, Dwight Yoakam opened the show. And that's the first night I met Dwight. And I said, do you remember who, who closed the show? And he said, no, man, help me. I said, Miss Loretta Lynn. So it was really a fun trip. I can remember that trip. And I remember going down up under the bleachers of that rodeo arena uh, to say hello to Dwight, to introduce myself to Dwight. I, that was the first time I ever met him. So I remember that night. It was really something. You know, I was scared to go to Texas. I don't know what I thought. I guess I thought everybody was going to be wearing guns. All like they do in the movies. <laughs> I remember being really uh, anxious about going. It's funny. Texas what, is fun. What you grow up? What now? I, I was going to say Texas is fun. Everything's bigger there. <laughs> oh, I love Texas, man. I've been to, all over Texas now. We played. There ain't no telling how many shows we played in Texas. But that first trip, I was kind of wondering if I was going to get shot. <laughs> shot off the saddle <laughs> it's amazing oh wow it's just wonderful how one person like that uh you know mentioning kicks can launch you into these stories and i see you have a name upcoming uh on live wire joe diffie who just we just lost and i'm curious if you could tell us anything when that episode's going to air on sirius and what your history is with him well it's airing right now Oh, really? really? I, I just did a radio um, interview with these some guys in Danville, Virginia, and it was a tribute to Joe Diffie. I talked to them about 30 minutes. Joe was just mm-hmm. a good guy, man. I, God, I knew yeah. him. See, I guess I signed with Capitol Records in 84 or 5. I can't remember. And and I was like the guy, one of the main demo singers male demo singers that's how a lot of us got our record deals we would sing a songwriter demo and then that tape would get pitched all over town to different artists and writers and a and r people and you could get your voice noticed that way uh, i know vince was doing a lot of them and uh, we quit doing them i think joe diffie and trisha yearwood they kind of were like mm-hmm. next in line and they started singing demos too but Joe was just a real it's hard to say was um, Joe was just a really nice guy a regular uh, I told those other guys it's a cliche to say a regular Joe but he 
he was just a regular guy like every, you know i'm i'm pretty much just a regular guy too and um we just never really went around star tripping or any of that stuff we were just all hillbillies anyway he was just a natural born country singer you know he didn't put on or try to be country when he was he was uh, he was a natural at it and i'd see him at the grand Ole opry a lot and you know he always had a smile on his face and a, maybe a joke to tell i saw him a few few months ago uh actually on the stage of the of the grand Ole opry house we were doing some sort of of tour they had they had some big shots coming into town and they needed a couple of hillbillies to <laughs> sit there and shake their hands and welcome them to nashville and joe and i were a couple of them but no man he was good you know the, uh, <laughs> this was funny I, this this hit me the other day uh there's this place in baton rouge called the texas club and it's still there when I was singing demos and, and just starting off singing jingles, I remember this company paid me $50 to sing a jingle for the Texas Club. And I didn't know what the Texas Club was. I, I just sang the thing, you know. And I don't know how many years later, I had a, I had a hit, and we went down to Baton Rouge, and they were ever to the Texas Club. It's a big old place. And so they were advertising us coming to the Texas, the Texas club. And it was me singing their jingle. So it was funny. I was uh, playing there and advertising myself. And <laughs> I remember it must've been, gosh, 1990 or something like that. And I remember a guy, coming up i even remember this guy's name his name was l mixon wilson because i remember because it was like t graham brown and his was l mixon wilson and he came up to me and introduced himself and we were talking and and this was out in the parking lot of the texas club at the bus and he said have you ever heard of this song called home and i said no man i hadn't heard of it so he played it for me and I said, well, who is that? And he said, Joe Dickey. And I thought, wow, that's, you know, I like that, you know, right off the bat. And that's the first time I ever heard of Joe Dickey. So I can remember. So it must have been something that hit me pretty well, you know, because I remember that. It's, that's just, you know how some of the memories will just come back. And it was just uh, really strange because I can't remember last week now. <laughs> But I did. I, I flashed on that when I heard that Joe had died. It's just weird, man. And John Prine's in the hospital. And I sent, mm-hmm. Ray, I sent Ray Benson a text yesterday, you know, telling him I loved him. And, and I hope, you know, I'm praying for complete healing. Uh, it's just fire. And then Kenny Rogers died. I think yeah. on the 20th, and I did a special for Sirius XM about him because I, I did so many shows with him, and I called up Ronnie Millsap, and I called up Lee Greenwood, and, uh, a bunch of people. And if, if anybody hears this and it has a subscription to Sirius XM, it's on demand, the Kenny special is. And also, 
you can go to they have a they have a uh, channel called Prime Country. They have several mm-hmm. different mm-hmm. country channels, and the one that I'm on is called Prime Country, and it plays hits and songs that were recorded between uh, 1980 and 2000. So I get to play, you know, songs. I get to pick out everything. That's one of the best parts of it. You ever pick yourself? You know, I can play my friends, you know, and I can, Mm -hmm. people that I, you know, was out road warrior and with, and all the songs are live. You know, I pick songs off of people's live albums. So I get to choose, you know, it's kind of like going from concert to concert. So, you know, I was able to put Joe, he did an album live at Billy Bob's, a bunch of us did. And that's mm-hmm. a great source for finding live music, just the live at Billy Bob stuff, because it was really well recorded and, you know, we got to mix it ourselves. And so it's a, it's a good source of stuff. But, yeah, man, it's funny. Um, how Jan Howard was 91, and she was, uh, I think she was the oldest living member of the Grand Ole Opry. Boy, she was feisty now. She would tell her like it is. You know, she didn't care whose toes she stepped on. She she was great <laughs> to hang around with. So she had some, talk about some war stories. She had some war stories from the early 60s, you know, she could, you know how it was hanging around Patsy Cline and, and when Loretta first moved to, to town and she was married to Harlan Howard who's one of the greatest country songwriters ever lived yeah. mm-hmm. so it's great talking to people like that and she was actually a you know a friend of mine she came to church to hear me sing not that long ago but uh, yeah man it's, it's crazy people are Sure, passing away, man. Just, um, I guess we're just getting old. A man of my advanced age should expect this sort of thing. <laughs> but instead, you're on the radio talking to other people of your advanced age and, and younger. And it, But it, it gives me a sense of community it, that Nashville has. You said Jan came to hear you at church, and it just seems like you all talk to each other. I mean, no other music other music I think has that than country music, the sense that you all belong together. I lucked out. I came along at a great time. Mm-hmm. First mm-hmm. of all, I got the greatest job in the world. I get to make people happy for a living. And that's such a joy. You know, I've been blessed by God. It's kept me healthy, kept my voice working and and I've had a great career and I tell people that, that I've gotten to work with, get to know, and become friends with, and they actually like me or, or liked me. That was the, one of the most amazing part. But I've got <laughs> to work with all the one-name people, like Conway and Loretta and George and Tammy and Willie and Waylon and Merle and Kenny and Dolly and Reba, and just on and on. You know, it's it, I've had a... I've had a blast, and I'm I'm having more fun now than I've ever had. Sheila and I are because the pressure's off. We're not out there chasing a hit. We're doing what we want to do. I mean, we're sitting at home right now during the virus. All of our shows got canceled. We had the biggest year 
schedule this year than I've had like in 15 years. And it's just dumb luck that all this other stuff's happening. You know, I'm hoping we can, you know, start back at least by the summer, but I don't even know, you know, who knows. Yeah, I'm here in July 1st for a lot of uh, the Live Nation tours, so uh, hopefully that'll stay on par, or if not sooner. But tell us how you uh, got your big break from Demo Singer to getting your own record deal. Man, I was a big fish in a small pond down in Georgia. I'm, I'm from Athens, Georgia. And I, I was raised down in South Georgia, my daddy moved us down there. My family are farmers. We, we've always been in agriculture. My daddy moved down to South Georgia and built a grain elevator. So I did my boyhood years down there. But I'm from Athens, Georgia. So Athens, I, I finished high school and went to the University of Georgia in Athens. And that's where I met Sheila. And, and all my family went to Georgia. Uh, that's just what you did. And... Uh, Athens has a great and always has had a great music scene. So I was able to make a living, you know, play in Atlanta. And and after I was scared to move. And I had a buddy said, man, you need to get out of Athens and move to New York, L.A. or Nashville. So Sheila came home to the... We were living on the farm and Sheila came home from school one day. She just finished up her master's work and... She said, let's go to Nashville. And I said, really? She said, yeah, if we don't go, you're never going to. She said, you'll be second-guessing yourself the rest of your life. So we just picked up and moved to Nashville. We had a 59 Ford station wagon and a 63 Volkswagen, and we just we moved. We didn't know anybody. We didn't know nothing about nothing. Sheila got a job waiting tables and working in a department store. And so I could go over to Music Row and try to figure it out. And I just talked my way into the demo singing, first couple of demos. And once once they heard me sing, I started getting a lot of calls for it. But, man, we used to sing demos 20 bucks a piece. I guess that first year I was there, I don't think I made $900, something like that. Oh, wow. I got a lot of experience. And by the time, my, like I said earlier, my voice got passed around Music Row. And so one of the guys at Capitol Records uh, got me a record deal there. And then we went down to Muscle Shoals and, and cut an album. And I tell it like it used to be came out, and that was a hit. I had one single before that. It's never made a record. It was called Drowning in Memories, but it's never been on an album. But it went to number 39, I remember, and that was enough for Capital to call for an album. I had what they call a singles deal. You could get a what they call a singles deal back then, and I had a six singles deal, which means that a record company, but a lot of people had singles deals. A few yeah. people had album deals, but... They would put out a single, and if it didn't hit, they had the option to put out another single and then another and another as long as they wanted to keep doing it. But I lucked out, and the first single they put out 
just barely scraped into the top 40, and that was enough for them to call for an album, and that's when we went in. The next song we cut was I Tell It Like It Used To Be, and they put it out, and, and it was a hit, and while it was going up the charts, I went down to Muscle Shoals and finished an album, you know, using all the swampers down there, all those guys. A lot of those guys are dead now that played yeah. on that first album, but... uh See, I did my first two albums in Muscle Shoals. Nice. That, I know a lot of great musicians come out of there, too. So you, you had some of the best in the industry then. Oh, man. Yes, the very best. They played, you know, those guys down there played on so many soul hits, and they were all white guys, every <laughs> one of them. And they played on so many soul hits. And then the same way in Memphis, you know, Steve Cropper and that bunch over there, Booker T and MG. Of course, they were about half and half black and white, but they played on, uh, you know, good Lord, between Memphis and Muscle Shoals, they, they were ruling the soul charts back then. Of course, Philadelphia now. Philadelphia is a great music town, but to me, Philadelphia came on mainly in the 70s. Uh, that Philly sound is, is I can tell, I can tell uh, on a record that was cut in Philly, one of those old songs, I can tell by the sound that, that it was made in Philadelphia. So there were several centers of that. You know, L.A. had the, uh, the wrecking crew. Mm-hmm. So there was, you know, Atlanta had a little little scene going on back then. Joe South, Billy Joe Royal, and Ray Stevens even. Love Ray. You know, the, the Atlanta rhythm section, you know, they, you know the Classics 4, Denny shows from the Classics 4. And the, and the, amazing, the uh, Atlanta rhythm section played on all those hits from down there. And then they started putting their own records out, and they had a bunch of hits too, so. There's, you know, there's different pockets of, of and of course, Nashville. Oh, and, yeah. mm-hmm. and then making, then, and then making Georgia was big when I was in high school. You know, the Allman Brothers and Marshall Tucker and Wet Willie and all that bunch cut down there. So it, it was neat. It really was neat. I came up at a good time, man. You know, things weren't so. I don't know, corporate, I guess, as a way mm-hmm. to say it. There was just a lot of cool stuff going on. Like Leonard Skinner, they were huge. And and you got the Almonds cut live at Fillmore East, and that might be one of the best rock and roll records ever made in history. And um, there's just been some you know, places. The South had some really good music. Oh yeah, definitely. Indeed. Indeed. I was just gonna say in Texas too, man, and 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 New Orleans. There's just been a lot of good stuff come out of these. And then you had the Grand Ole Opry, and it was blasting out. You know that clear channel WSM AM station went all over the United States, so people heard hillbilly music you know if they wanted to they could tune into that so you are a wealth of knowledge we need to have you back for like an hour unfortunately we have a 430 and we have to cut this short but i have to say you you could talk for hours i i want to talk to you more please come back this was fabulous and uh, thank you 
I'm always at your disposal. Oh, Matt, I, did you count how many questions we got in? Uh, I think it was in the negatives. <laughs> <laughs> but I love that. I love. I can make the yes. joke because I love that. Yes, but he was super cool, and I loved it. And that's what I love about some of these acts is you're able to ask one question, and they can just go on. It's great because it just makes our jobs easier. It certainly does. So until next time, I'm Matt. And I'm Buddy for the Music Universe podcast. Keep checking us out at themusicuniverse.com and on social media. 